0: morning, everyone. Um, the message God has put in my heart for today is called Arise, a call to arise. So, I've been in the book of Judges in my reading plan, but it's been funny because the timing of it, we've, we, done, we did the series Belittled Women, um, so looking at women in leadership and women in ministry. and. Um, just around that time, straight afterwards, I'm in the book of Judges and we come to Deborah. <laughs> and it's amazing and I'm drawn to Deborah because she's an amazing leader, she's a prophet, she's a judge. But as I read it and as I began to like dig into it, I realised there's more to this story. Like, there's, there's so much for us, for our culture, for our church, for us today. Um, like in the day of judges, it says it says in Judges twenty-one, twenty-five, in the day of judges, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did as they saw fit. Well, doesn't that sound like our culture? In our day, in our time, 2023, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, did as they saw fit. So as we as we go into judges, and it's going to be judges four and five, the story of Deborah and all in and around that. As we go in there, we're going to see a demonstration of courageous love. I asked God for a word at the start of the year. Um, Just a little reflective exercise I did with a few people. And I asked him for a word. um, And he gave me those two words, courageous love. And those are to be my sort of guideposts, my values that will drive me um, for this year. Courageous love. So... In the story of Deborah, we will see a demonstration of courageous love and like, how explosive that can be, how powerful that can be. And we're going to see just an ordinary woman arising in love, but not just love, in courageous love. Um, Tim Keller, he uh, has a little commentary on judges, and it's really valuable uh, as I was studying this. But he, he describes... Christianity as a brave spirituality. So it's not for the faint-hearted, you know. Um, we're, we're called to have courage, um, and there it is a battleground. So Christianity is in no way passive. It's a brave spirituality that we're called to. So I just want to encourage you to have a think about what would courageous love look like in my life, in my church, in my town, courageous love. And so we're going to see a demonstration of courageous love in De- Deborah's ministry and life. But we're also going to see renewal and renewal and revival, or and or. Everyone wants a bit of or and or. Uh, me too. But actually, this type of or and or is the best type: renewal and revival. Now you've heard David and I talk a lot about this word renewal over the last number of months and the reason for that is it's kind of a hot topic in christianity and in leadership circles because throughout history crisis always precedes renewal so when there's a crisis there's always been a time of renewal in the church where god is breathing new life into hearts where he's pouring out his spirit and we're seeing heart change church change and ultimately spilling over into towns, communities, society changing. So we need renewal. I'm longing for renewal, to see renewal in my heart and in our hearts and in our church and in our town. I think this this nation is ripe for renewal because we have seen crisis. We've seen crisis on a global scale. And I don't know if you have been tapping into... um, What's been happening this week in Asbury College, but it has been phenomenal. And I've had a headache from Thursday, but I have been absolutely buzzing inside because of what's happening here. It is so exciting, guys. Here's what happened last Wednesday. There was an ordinary chapel service in Asbury College. Just an ordinary, nothing, you know, nothing exciting happened, just an ordinary chapel service. People then dispersed. And after an hour or so, people just kept people just came back and started to worship. And that was last Wednesday, I guess what is still going, nearly 200 hours later, and people are crying out to God. people are on their faces before God, and it was there's nothing complicated, there's nothing fancy, there's no big names. It's just repentance coming before God and saying, "God, I need you, I want you." And, you know, I was just pondering, what is renewal? Renewal, what is renewal? I've explained what renewal is, what's revival? Revival is like a catalyst for renewal. So often the R's go together, renewal and revival. And revival is like an intense kind of a God awareness. You just come into like an intense awareness of his his love, his holiness, his beauty. And it's captivating and it's addictive. And God, I just long for that. I I want that for us, for our town, for our church, for our nation. Wouldn't you just love to see it? I don't know about you guys, but I just feel sparks inside me. And I know this past couple of Sundays, especially whenever we've been worshipping, and thank you for leading us in worship, Aaron and Sarah and Daniel and... Samuel and just the worship team. It's just we are so privileged. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. Last Sunday I sat in my chair and I didn't want it to end and I nearly went up to Aaron afterwards and I went home and I said to David I just want more. I just want to worship more And do you know what? I wasn't the only one because conversations through the week and that's why partly why you know, we're gonna come together, we're gonna worship, and we're gonna seek God, and we're gonna linger and we're gonna just think about him and focus on him and how beautiful he is and just how wonderful he is and I'm excited. (laughs) So Lord please do it again. You know, I just think there's kindling there's kindling all over and there's sparks and we just pray the Holy Spirit. Wind will just come and blow. I'm just praying for that. I just long for that. And others are praying for that and longing for that too. Um, and, you know, if we posture, our, we can't make a revival, but we can posture ourselves and we can cry unto God and we can repent and we can, you know, we can arise. And it does, sometimes it takes just someone to say, come on. <laughs> I think that's that's what happened, you know, in Asprey. Some They just started worshipping again and then more and more came and God's spirit blew. And it just takes those voices and those sparks and those people to say, come on, <laughs> let's do it. Let's worship him. Let's focus on him. So anyway, the book of Judges. <laughs> Better keep on track. Um, so basically this book of Judges, you will see uh, if you read the whole book of Judges, um, that there is a pattern. And basically the pattern is there's sin and idolatry. And then God, out of love, he causes crisis. He causes, he allows crisis. He, he, he sends an oppressor to come. And so the people then, because he's trying to get their attention, he wants their hearts. And so, he, so they then begin to cry out to God. And then there's a period of renewal because God raises up a judgment. God listens to the cries of his people. And this so this cycle happens where the people then cry out to God. God answers and he sends a judge. And then there's a period of renewal and revival, rescue. So actually in the book of Judges, we are it's it's the best book in order to in the Old Testament, it's the best book to see renewal and revival. Um and Acts in the New Testament would be the best book to see it in the New Testament. Um so, if we go just a bit of a backdrop in Judges One, we will see the root of their problem. Why were they stuck in this vicious cycle of um you know getting into sin and then oppression and then crying out to God and then renewal and then falling back into sin Why, why this vicious cycle? We can find out if you read if you start at the book, the start of judges and Judges One, and what you'll see is that God had asked them. To possess the land, and they were to go in and possess the land, not in part, they were to totally possess the land. And what happened was they began to compromise. It was like a halfway discipleship, partial obedience, compromise. And that was the root of the problems. Um, I'm just going to read Judges 1, I think it's on the screen, um, Judges 1 19. We'll get a clue about kind of the root of the problem. So it says the Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. So they didn't do all God told them to do. He told them to totally possess the land, totally drive the inhabitants out. But this was compromise, but sometimes compromise can seem like common sense, like the, the chariots of iron, for goodness sake. You know, how you can't just come against that. But if God asks to do something, sometimes He asks us to do hard stuff. Sometimes the call of God is really, really hard, and it takes perseverance, and it takes grit, and it takes everything within you, and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. But compromise can seem like common sense and it can seem like wisdom. Like we'll just leave those, you know, we've, we've nearly, we're nearly there, but we'll leave those because like chariots fitted with iron, that's kind of impossible. But compromise kind of seeps in then and it, it's nearly infectious because actually on through Judges 1 we'll see further compromises. The Benjamites didn't drive out the Jebusites. Manasseh didn't drive out the people of Beth Shan. Ephraim didn't drive out the Canaanites. Zebulun didn't drive out the Canaanites either, living in Ketron or Nahalal. Nor did Asher, did drive out those living in Aku. Verse thirty-three. Neither did Naphtali. And verse thirty-four. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country not allowing them to come down into the plain. So they took the hill country, but they they didn't get the plain. Compromise just seeped in. You see how it just started with that one compromise, and then it just seeped in. Halfway discipleship. God wants our all. (laughs) He wants our all. No compromises. (coughs) And it's for our own good, because... Look what happened. The people were trapped... In this vicious cycle, and there was like an intermingling spiritually with the Canaanites, leading to idolatry and sin. So intermingling uh, idols everywhere in the land. And you know what? There's there's idols everywhere in our society, in our in our land. Not Baal. In those days, they were worshiping Baal, and the intermingling of Baal worship was. Was a big part of the problem. So, but we also have We also have idolatry. It's everywhere. Once you begin to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, it's everywhere. I've been listening to a guy, um, and you'll have heard David mention him, Mark Sayers, and he he is an expert in contemporary uh, culture. So he's done a lot of studies in cultural patterns. And especially pertaining to how it affects the church, Christianity, um, and what he has said in his latest podcast, and it's absolutely brilliant and makes sense when you when you when you listen to it. In the West, the biggest enemy of discipleship in our day is not persecution. It's not persecution. It's seduction. What do I mean by that? Seduction? How are we in danger of being seduced? Well, it's the intermingling of following Jesus with other things. And sometimes they're good things. Often they're good things. And the reason is we're living in a can culture. (laughs) So we're we're living in a culture where we can do anything. We can have it all. We can do anything. We can watch any number of programs on TV anytime we want to. We can get news 24-7. We can access whatever courses we want to do, even online, on YouTube. You can, you can do anything. And we are living in this society where we're told we can be and do anything. Um, endless freedom. Endless freedom to the extent where it oppresses us. Do you remember the, the people of, of in the days of Judges, they had an oppressor? Well, this endless freedom becomes an oppressor to us because we can't. We can't. Do and have it all, and focus on Jesus and focus on his call at the same time because discipleship requires focus. And we're so distracted, we're seduced and pulled in a million different directions, often with good things. It's endless freedom. Mark Sayers makes the point that you know, the disciples Jesus went and he called his disciples. And if you watch The Chosen, we have chosen fans in the house including me, if you watch The Chosen, it's so beautiful, because you see Jesus calling his disciples, and he goes to them, and he looks them in the eye, and he says, follow me, and he's captivating, Jesus is captivating, and the call to follow him, it's such a privilege, it's such a privilege, like, whenever I think about it, and God, every one of us, everyone in this room, he knows your name. And he looks at you in the eye, just visualize, it. he looks you in the eye and he says, follow me. He puts your name in there, your name, follow me. It's such a privilege. If only we knew <laughs> we wouldn't look to a million different things. And what Mark, Sayers, what Mark Sayers calls it, the sea of endless freedom. It's not the sea of Galilee as it was for the disciples, but it's the sea of endless freedom that wants to take us and, Captivate us and get us our get our attention when Jesus says, Focus on me, follow me. And that changes everything. That decision to follow Him changes everything. It's the best decision you can ever make. But in our culture, in our day, we need to make that decision every day to keep focused and to keep following Him. Funny thing happened to me last week. <laughs> All last week I was thinking about focus. I was thinking how is my focus, Lord? And I was talking to God and just pondering this whole concept of focus. Came into church last Sunday and I was standing, drinking a cup of tea with Ashley. And Ashley, he says to me, well, how's your week? Um, Then he said to me, how's your focus? (laughs) Honestly, he said that. I was like, what? And then he pointed at the car. (laughs) He says, how's your focus running? (laughs) How many miles is on it now? I don't know. <laughs> but that, to me, that was a prophetic, actually a prophetic question. And that's the question Holy Spirit has been asking me. And I believe I am to issue that call to us in this room today. Church, how's our focus? How's our focus? How's your focus? How's our focus as a church? Hear the Spirit today. And is he calling us to arise arise, not from the Sea of Galilee, but from the Sea of Endless Freedom and to accept the call to follow him. And yes, there is a cost to discipleship because it's not easy walking away from the Sea of Endless Freedom. And I, you know, what I'm noticing and realising is that I need to, for me, it's different for all of us, but for me, I need to just detach myself from the phone now and again, especially when I'm going to talk to God, because I would use the phone for like using meditations to help me to to pray, and there's so much good stuff on there, but even just to keep it in the next room. <laughs> um, and you know what, what does that look like for you? You know, go on that journey of asking the Holy Spirit, "You know, how is my focus? How can I focus on you?" So let's go to Judges 4. After all that, Judges 4 and 5, interestingly, they're about the same thing. It's unusual, actually, but it's really, really helpful. They're about the same thing. <laughs> and So we're going to be mostly in Judges 4, but I'm going to pull in little bits of Judges 5 to get more detail. 4 is actually a narrative, so it's a story. 5 is a, is a song, it's a poem. Um but they, they are both about the same thing. So Judges 4, 1-3. to 3, It says, again, <laughs> funny enough, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, wicked oppressor. He reigned in Hazor. Now Sisera. The commander of his army was based in Harasheth Hagraim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and he had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Remember those chariots of iron from Judges 1? Same ones. He had these 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed them for 20 years and they cried to the Lord for help. They cried to the Lord for help. And that's the key. Any revival, renewal, any turning point, it starts with a crying out to the Lord for help. It can be just a simple one-word prayer, help. Life-changing. Second Chronicles 7.14, we all know it. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. It takes humility to cry and to say, I need help. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It's a promise. If we will humble ourselves and cry out to God, then he hears us. And here's what happened. Verse 4 And five, we're going to be introduced to Deborah. Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes settled. So she was a prophet, a leader in Israel. This tells us that she was in constant communion with God. So she was postured very well to be used by God. She was in constant communion with Him. She was obviously well thought of. People came to her, they respected her judgment. Her voice was important. Do you know what I say as well? That she was connected with the community. The people knew where to get to her. She had a faithful, consistent presence in the community. And anyone that's been chatting to me lately will know, or David, we are itching to meet people in the community, to to connect with the community. Just itching. And because she was postured in that way and positioned within the community, she heard the whisper of God. And in verse 6 and 7, it says... She sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali. And she said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go and take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun. Lead them up to Mount Tabor. And I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River. I'm going to give him into your hands. Deborah heard the whisper of God. And she was to go to barrack and give him instructions to do something quite difficult and to muster up the troops. And without any faffing around, she just went. You know, and I don't know, it doesn't say what her inner dialogue was. Did she think to herself, what will he think of me? What if he says no? What if, what if, what if? What if can stop us, guys? It can stop us, you know, seeing a victory, seeing God move. She didn't faff around. She just went immediately. She acted immediately. And the, um, this mount of Tabor, it's quite big. wouldn't fancy climb. It's not quite Berna, but I wouldn't fancy climbing up there. Um, and 10,000 troops were mustered. And that was the instructions. But what did Barak say? Let's see. How did he respond to her? Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. <laughs> and now a lot of people, commentators, will say that Barak was being faithless here and he should have just said, Yeah, I'm going. But actually, Barak made it into Papers 11 where all the, you know, the hall of, of faith Um, All the famous um, saints that displayed great faith made it into Hebrews 11, or many of them made it into Hebrews 11. So do you know what? I think Barak actually did have faith. And what I think and what you'll see in some of the commentaries is that actually he honoured her position of leadership and he honoured the fact that she hears from God. I want her with me. And sometimes, do you know what? We need to get beside people who have faith, who hear God, especially if we're struggling in our own faith, it's wise. It's wise to just get beside people, hang out with people who are strong in their faith, who know God, who know his character. And so I actually think that Barak was, was being wise. And, do you know, I think actually he was being an unselfish leader as well. You know, who cares? As long as God's work gets done, as long as God's people are helped, who cares who gets the glory? It's God that gets the glory anyway. So if you go on to the next verse, so that was, that was eight. If you go, I'll go. If, I, if you don't go, I, I don't want to go. Um, the next little bit actually says in the NIV, because of the course you're taking, the honour will not be yours. The Lord is going to deliver us so into the hands of a woman. But actually, the original doesn't quite say that. It says, notwithstanding. God is going to deliver Cesare into the hands of a woman. The woman isn't Deborah, by the way. Um, so Deborah was a prophet. I think she was just proclaiming it. She was saying, this is how it's going to be. God is going to give a victory, but it's not going to be in your through your hands or the hands of a man. It's actually, and it's not going to be Deborah either. It's going to be a woman. Okay. So we'll find out what happens. I loved Deborah's response. And this says a lot about her. Verse 9, certainly I'll go. <laughs> in fact, in the Hebrew it says, I'll go, I'll go. Certainly I'll go. That shows courageous love and selflessness. And she allowed herself to just be steered by God, blown along by the Holy Spirit, repositioned and redirected. This past few weeks in the prayer meeting, it's funny how sometimes if you sit in the prayer meeting and you are listening to the Holy Spirit, you'll you'll notice... The prayers can be steered in different directions. But I've just noticed this past while myself, I've been praying God steer us, reposition us, lead us, and allowing us just that picture of being blown and positioned where God wants us to be, as individuals and as a church. Now, Deborah wasn't a military leader, but she said, I'm going, I'll go. A chance to see the hand of God. I I don't know about you, but if if there there was a battle about to... Um, happen and I was being invited I would not want to go but it just shows the courage of her she uh, and you know I've thought about this as well it says a lot about her husband you know she knew it would be okay I'm going to go and I suppose in our relationships and whether that is you know a husband, wife whether that's friendships or family let's cheer each other on and if you're a friend or if you're you know, someone in your family has a chance to to see God's hand, then encourage them in it. Go for it. I release you to do that, to, to serve God in that way. So what Deborah did, she arose. And in fact, we'll see in a little while, we'll see that she uses that language. She arose at that point and she said, yes, I'm up for it. And Daniel eleven thirty two. I love this it says the people who know their God will display strength and take action. God's people are not passive, even when we're waiting we're not to be passive. We're far from it. Anyone that knows their God will display strength and take action. So Deborah knew God. She knew what he was like. She knows that he is is strong and he keeps his promises. Do you know what I also think at the core of her being is that she knows that God loves her, and he sees her. And I think we need to know that, church. We need to take time to receive that. God loves us. And I think once you, if you focus on that, if you receive that, if you allow that to go into your heart, that is actually transformative. It's transformative, because if we are to be acting with courageous love, we have to receive that love and have it. Welling up from inside of us. We are loved. We are loved. And the greatest demonstration of courageous love was Jesus on the cross. He did that for us. He did that for us. Because he loves us. He loves us. Judges 5. Remember I said 5 fills in the gaps that we don't see in in 4. So Judges 5 verse 7 it says... The villagers in Israel, this is Deborah speaking. The villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. What is that? What's the significance of that language? She arose as a mother in Israel. She she arose to care, to nurture, to enter into the suffering, to actually care about what's going on in her community amongst her people. To get involved compassion true compassion i mean the word means to suffer with true compassion actually enters in gets involved doesn't just look from a distance and say oh poor you she entered in and she arose and because of that other people that previously held back they arose where is god calling us to arise as individuals or as a church, and what would it look like if we were to arise as a nurturing presence in our time beyond what would that look like there's a ripple effect in verse chapter four verse ten we'll see there there's just a ripple effect when someone with courageous love arises in four verse ten it says. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up. You saw that Mount Tabor. (laughs) It's no small thing for 10,000 men to just assemble and go up under his command. And Deborah also went up. True to her word, she went up with him. So there was a ripple effect when she arose. And verse 11, it says, Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim, near Kadesh. It just so happened that this guy moved house, okay? (laughs) We're not going to find out why until later, and sometimes that's God's way. He does stuff, and he waves things, and he's acting, but we don't see what he's doing until later. But actually, this is a very, very significant part of the story. It just so happened that he moved house, okay? No coincidences with God. God was weaving. Next thing, verse 13, says the enemy makes his move. And guess what? We see those old iron chariots again. (laughs) The iron chariots. He made his move. Him and his men and his 900 iron chariots. Scary times. Deborah then says to Barak, go. And if you look up the Hebrew, the word is actually arise. She said to him, arise, because she has the authority to tell him to arise. And she's also an encourager. And sometimes we need to be reminded of truth. Sometimes we need encouragement. And I'm so thankful for encouragers within this church. And in verse four, chapter four, verse 15. I love this. Caesarea runs for it. The Lord routed Caesarea and all his chariots and army by the sword. He got down from his chariot and he ran for it. He fled on foot. What on earth is going on? They've got iron chariots. They've got the advantage. We'll find out actually if we go to chapter five, the chapter that fills in the gaps, that there was an actually there was a massive storm an act of God, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. Suddenly iron chariots are not such a good idea if you're beside a river and it's lashing with rain and there's a storm. And it actually says in verse 21 of chapter 5, the river Kishon swept them away. No wonder Caesar ran for it. God turns the tables on the enemy. He disarmed the enemy. What they thought was their source of strength turned out to be their downfall. And do you know what's something beautiful, but something quite ironic is that Baal, he was the god of a couple of different things, but he was the god of weather. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Baal, the god of weather and our god who, who tells the, the wind and the waves to be quiet, he summoned a storm and he turned the tables on the enemy. And it just makes me think of the cross. Colossians 2.15, it's one of my favorite verses because it's about the victory of the cross and how God made a mockery, made a mockery of the enemy. He disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over, over them by the cross. God turns the tables on the enemy, no matter how strong the enemy might seem. And Judges 4, 16 to 17, back to the narrative about Caesarea. He's fled, he's run for it. Judges 4, 16 to 17. Remember the guy that moved house? It just so happened that he moved house. Look out for him. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Haggaiim, and all Caesarea's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Caesarea, meanwhile, fled. He's on the run. He fled to the tent of Jael, who just happens to be the wife of Heber the Kenite, who just happened to move house in verse 11. And there just happened to be an alliance between Jabon the king of Hazor and the family of Heber the Kenite. It just so happened. It just so happened. It just so happened that God was weaving, that God knew exactly what he was doing. And so Caesarea ran for it to what he thought was a safe place. And he ran to his death, basically. Okay, he went into the tent. And I have to be honest here. (laughs) See, if I was watching this on TV, I'd have switched off by now because it's going to get gory. It probably would be an 18 movie and I would have switched off. Or if I was reading a book, I'd have closed it. But actually, it's really important. What happens is he goes into the tent and this lady jailed don't know how you say her name. She gets a tent peg, and it's not nice. He falls asleep because she gives him milk. He feels safe. She puts a blanket over him. She gets a tent peg. She puts it through his temple, and he dies. But I'll tell you why it's important to know that. So name, he's got a funny name. It's actually not a Canaanite name, and there's a couple of meanings for it. But if it's a Hittite name, the name actually is Meditations, and the funny thing is the tent peg goes through his prefrontal cortex for the counsellors, and Christine knows where that is. <laughs> goes through the thinking part of his brain. There's got to be some significance there, and I wonder what, Cesaras we need to put a tent peg through. What ungodly thoughts, meditations, worldly ideals and patterns and things that we need to just say no to and drive a tent peg through god got the victory and just as we close (laughs) thanks for thanks for just listening you know we can say here that god was the answer for the state that the nation was in the nation of israel at that time god was the answer and he turned things around he turned the tables and it was amazing and amazing things can happen if we are prepared to arise. And I feel like it's the call for us today a call to arise in courageous love. And it is scary, and it does take the power of the Holy Spirit to arise from what? <laughs> Perhaps from the sea of endless freedom. Perhaps from other things. I don't know. Perhaps to arise from people pleasing. From distractions. I don't know what we're to arise from, but the call is to arise and to refocus. And I believe there's Deborah's in this room, there's Barracks in this room. And what it what's stopping us from arising? That's that's maybe a question to pray about, to ask God. What's stopping us? Is it time? Is it energy? Sometimes it's common sense, remember can seem like common sense but it can lead to compromise so as a church a call to arise i feel like there's a call to arise for us to be a faithful presence in this town to be a presence and to be fully present so that people know where they can find us if they need us to care enough to nurture and to enter in and to find out what's going on in people's lives to connect with people to have a finger on the pulse yeah. the last time i felt like this i changed career so i am just curious as to what is ahead and excited but i am i'm up for it i am ready to do whatever god wants me and us to do so i invite you um if the worship team just wants to come forward i just invite you to join with us and to ask god what is it that you want us to do, God? How can we arise as a church? Can we ask the Holy Spirit to refocus us, to guide us, to steer us, to reposition us, to redirect us, to fill us? And even next Sunday night as we come and as we worship, to just come with willing hearts and open hearts and be ready to be steered, to be ready to be redirected and repositioned, to be ready to have a fire lit. And, you know, let's learn from what's happening across in, in the college in America. It's just simple. Repentance, worship, God consciousness. Lord, we just come to you right now, Lord, and we...